Let's cut to the chase. The world of work is changing. There is no stopping that change. Welcome to the Better Work Project, brought to you by the team at Softed. I am your host, David Mantica, and joining me as co-host is Andy Cooper. In this podcast, we will explore the changing world of work, what the future of work means, how it affects businesses and workers alike, and how we can create more productive and engaged workplaces. I hope you join us for the ride. Enjoy. We're back with episode 16. (laughs) We can drive now, at least in the U.S. I don't know about the driving ages in other parts of the world. Also, you folks drive backwards or opposite or something like that, correct? how How do you guys drive? Andy, first say hello. How do you drive? Hello. How do we drive? Well, on a good day, reasonably badly. I think as a country, New Zealanders don't drive very well. But we do drive on the left-hand side of the road as opposed to the right-hand side, which is probably what you were asking. So it's not backwards or upside down. How about you, LG? Are you a good driver? Do you drive backwards or upside down or or on the left? Backwards would be a little bit more challenging, but we'd be up for that. No, we drive on the left. Man, that is kind of, that would scare me big time. You all need the general. The general is the insurance company here where if you're a really bad driver, you go to the general and he saves you time and money. I just quoted that commercial. Anyways, before we get into other things as well, I think we solved the toilet water question. The toilet water question actually ties back to the car question a little bit. From a few episodes ago, we talked about when you flush the toilet, what direction the water goes. And Andy, you solved that problem, right? Or solved the, or found the answer. Yeah, I did. But although they're not entirely related on the basis that one is a force of nature and the other is a force of choice through <laughs> history, <laughs> history. But yes, they actually do go in different directions. So because of the vortex, I think there's a term. Vortex, I in, like that term. In the Northern Hemisphere, when water goes down a drain or a toilet, it goes clockwise. And in the Southern hemisphere, it moves counterclockwise. So, you know, I'd spend quite a bit of time, as you know, in Asia and in the equator, it goes straight down. Straight down. That's so cool. Straight down. Like straight down. I mean, I I love that. So let's go on to something else though. Let's talk about style. Because this presentation is going to, we're going to talking a little bit about leadership style, but I struggle with the word style. And I wonder if I even have a personal style or a human style. Do either of you have a style? Like if, if you said, oh, I, this is my style. Could either one of you say that? And what would it be? Lauren? I think everyone has their, their uh, personal style. And that's, you know, informed by your values and your personality and your relational awareness and experience. What do you think, Andy? Yeah. I'm not surprised that David's confused about style, though. <laughs> Why? I think because- it would be difficult. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, it's very difficult for me. Is, am I a goof bag? I mean, what is my style? I, I, oh, I well, can... if you think about style, I think that's that's your particular way of expressing yourself, whether that's through your clothing, your hairstyle, your thoughts and your behaviors. So, you know, we all have distinct style. I think you have style as well. Yeah, but, is it, very yeah but what is it? Is it normal style or abnormal? It's like the young Frankenstein movie when he got the Abbey normal brain. So I guess my style is Abbey normal. We'll reserve judgment, whether it's good or bad. It just is. It just is. And with that, let's jump into why you're listening. Enough of the nutty conversation. On to the real stuff. First off, we want to introduce our guest, Larissa Garcia. Larissa, tell the audience about yourself because they're so glad 
to get to normal conversation now. <laughs> thanks, David. Thanks for having me on. I, I really enjoyed the, the sort of intro banter there about style, and we'll jump into some of that a little bit later on. I, I'm a, a coach, a mentor, and a facilitator, and I work in the space of capability, culture, and people strategy. So uh, a lot of my work, because I've got a human resources background, I work a lot with HR pr practitioners and professionals, but I also work a lot with people leaders, and it's a real big passion of mine to work with people leaders to uncover some of their styles some of the things that, that, you know, make them do what they do, the lens through which they see the world. So yeah, lots of passion in the area of that capability piece. So as I said, HR background, Masters of Business, business Administration with a major in Innovation and Leadership. So no surprise that we're talking about leadership today. Certified and qualified coach, strengths coach, and sort of, you know, wanting to um, work more in that positive psychology domain. So thanks, Lauren, for picking up the fact that a style is neither good or bad. It is what it is. So we'll get into that a little bit, a little bit later on. Man, great job. Great introduction. Fantastic to have you. And here's the topic that makes it so perfect. The Better Work Project is all about presenting our audience with options, ideas, thoughts, and theory around making work work in the 21st century. Now, the debate might be, what is the definition of making work work, though? Is it making money consistently? Is it a culture of inclusion and trust? Is it an environment of learning and psychological safety? Some would say it's all three or something entirely different. What we do know is that to make work work in the 21st century, leadership must change because in most cases, work is not working right now. And we see that through attrition rates, through pre-absentee and absenteeism, through folks that are engaged and disengaged at work, the numbers across the board show this. There are a bunch of different options and pathways you can make to, to make to this pivot. And we've discussed a few so far in previous podcasts. But for this conversation, we're going to take a step back, which I like actually, and talk about some foundational elements. Basic leadership style and being an authentic leader. This creates a wide and deep pool to work from. So we may have to take, we may end up taking some interesting paths. But as you get ready to listen, Think about what your leadership style is right now. And does it fit the way work needs to be done going forward? So with that said, Larissa, we'll start with you. What is authentic leadership? How does it look in action? Yeah, thanks, David. So authentic leadership is, I like to call it, it's basically where you're leading from a place where you are your full self for others. And that's the definition around leadership, right? Is leadership is for others. So it's understanding yourself in a really on a really deep level. And there's some work being done by a, a guy by the name of Jerry Colonna. And he talks about radical self-inquiry and really understanding yourself on a deep level. So it's understanding the lens through which you see the world, as I said earlier. It's your strengths and also the opportunities, you know, your opportunity areas. It's looking at your values, so your personal values and how they interact with the organization that you're working with their values, your own personal beliefs, your motivators, what your triggers are. So it's really kind of that deep self-work. And my, you know, sort of premise around leadership is it's about understanding self before understanding others. Wow. Interesting. Tight, concise. So Andy, any concerns or any thoughts about authentic leadership? Pro, con. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was fantastic. So thanks, Larissa, for that awesome explanation 
I think the probably only thing that I can add to that is because there's quite a lot of discussion around this whole concept of authenticity and you know be your be authentic be who you are be you know and and I think how I've sort of thought about that recently is that I think that that makes sense the challenge is to how far you take that does that mean that authentic means that you know if I'm quick to get annoyed that that's being authentic and and therefore I can get away with being a not very nice person and so that's to me the the challenge and in the nuance in this is to to sort of how far you can take that sometimes without being moving into you know into a bad space in fact some I heard a comment recently from Adam Grant he said that authenticity without empathy is selfish which I think sort of sums up what I think about that as well which is that you know authenticity but with the lens of empathy is is was it will come from a good place so basically what you're saying here and you're taking the other side of authentic leadership is that if you're authentically a jerk it might be challenging to be a leader but what happens if you're honest and you express that you're a jerk you hire purposely people who can handle you being a jerk and, and, and are like you, maybe they're jerks. Can this work? So Larissa, kind of kind of work this, work your magic on this one. So, you know, I am a jerk. I'm gonna hire jerks. I'm gonna hire people who are okay with jerks and we're gonna go out in the world and we're gonna be jerky together. Does that work? And, <laughs> go <ahead>. Yes. <laughs> yeah, look, I like the jerky together because I think that's, you know, this is where we start to look at the, the authentic jerk behavior is you know if if you're a leader in a in a in a role like that then you're probably a leader by title only because what you're missing is the empathy piece that Andy just spoke about so i think that jerk behavior you know if you're looking at sort of jerk behavior usually there's some self-serving tendencies behind that and so as you're kind of you know gathering kind of jerks around you you're going to be forming a culture that you know is going to be quite exclusive if you like and so what that's going to be is going to present probably quite a lot of risk for your organization you know there's probably i've seen this happen in organizations probably more in sub teams rather than whole organizations where there's been jerk behavior that's been demonstrated by maybe a leader or a person who with high influence in the team and what happens is other people start to get on board it's contagious right that behavior becomes contagious and people go well that's accepted you know if that person can behave that way then i'm going to behave that way as well and what eventually happened was there happened to be a lot of conflict in the team a lot of disagreement very competitive and suddenly the culture within that team was starting to be quite toxic so interesting now andy what's your thoughts on this one especially with regard to maybe the impact it can have on customers as well so you can have you can have your little jerkity jerk session and be authentic in your jerkiness as we talked about but then you know what how does that could potentially spray over to customers as well larissa did a great job of talking about how it could spray over internally and become a debacle well i, I think that that can then become permeate in the culture of the organization you know that can then i suppose lend itself to having worked in an organization like that for a while it then it did lend itself to pretty bad customer relationships it you know i worked for an organization where at the time the culture was it was all about making the numbers and you did it any which way so if that meant screwing the customer over you did it and you're rewarded for it so it definitely can you know spread over into 
creating very bad customer relationships. Um, now, Lauren, yeah. as you hear some of this stuff, and mm -hmm. Andy, I'll go back to you. I think you got a follow-up thought. You know, what hits at you? I mean, the idea of yeah. empathy tied to or, tied to being authentic, and you know, the fact that you really have to self-examine yourself when if you want to be authentic. What are some things that are tying back to you? Well, I'm just thinking about that kind of jerk manager stereotype. You know, there are four power bases: power with, power over power to and power within and power over is based on coercion and control it's often how we typically associate power and this is often where we see that jerk manager stereotype and this type of style isn't fit for purpose in environments where we need to be adaptive and we're fostering collective intelligence of teams to solve complex problems as needed so yes you can be a jerk and hire people that are willing to put up with it but hopefully <laughs> we are seeing less jerks in leadership positions to start with when I think about authentic leaders you know they're genuine and they're empathetic they're true to their values and this is manifested in words but more importantly, in actions, and they know how to play to their particular strengths. They're also aware of their weaknesses, and they're able to gain the trust that they need to have people rally around them. So Andy, what was your follow-up thought on what you, when I had um, Lauren make some comments there? Well, I think I was just going to say again that, the, you know, to, to, not to overuse my nuance word, but I'll nuance the nuance word. <laughs> the, the thing about this as well is that I, I think there's a level of transparency that I think is okay. So some organizations, and I'll use one example that's quite well known, like Netflix is quite open about its culture and and how that manifests itself and the expectations. And I personally, while I may not appreciate or want to work for them, I do actually think that at least that's being open and at least people are hopefully making an informed choice about where they want to work and what the expectations will be when they go there. So that's the nuance to me here is that if the organization wants to work in a certain way, is clear about that is the way it is and allows people to, to see that before they, they join, then that can be okay, providing they're not bullied or any other really bad sort of behavior. And Larissa, that was great, Andy, by the way. Thank you. So Larissa, if you want to kind of finalize and package these two questions from your point of view, based on all your experience, I mean, transparency, empathy, you know, if you're going to have a jerky culture, it's going, it's going to hit you in the butt at some point, either with customers or internally with scale and speed. So how would you kind of package all this and summarize it before we move over to style? Yeah, look, I think one thing I've noticed over the last few weeks, David, is having conversations around leadership. It always leads to a conversation around culture. And mm -hmm. so your leadership will drive the culture inevitably of your organisation and your culture will drive the leadership um, behaviours that, that will be accepted. And so the two go hand in hand. I think when you're talking about authentic leadership and jerk leadership and whatever that style is, then you're ultimately looking at how that will lead your culture. It will set the tone for how your organisation, you know, shows up for the rest of the employees and your customers and your vendors to the outside world. And you can't control that. That's what hits me is that you can make a logic statement about having a transparent culture that is, you know, aggressive and what we might categorize as a jerk, but the moment you cross over to customers and vendors, you can't control and you, you can only be so transparent. I mean, ultimately people want to work with people they can be comfortable with. And that's why I think a lot of cases, this 
concept or logic statement can fall down. So ultimately, you know, your transparency has to be the fact that you're willing to adjust and change yourself if that's going to impede the progress, speed, and transformation of your organization, which is easier said than done, correct? Wouldn't you say, Larissa? I would say, yes, easier said than done, because there's two things here which are really quite, they have some gray lines around them, and that's trust. So, you know, as a leader, you need to be able to build trust. As an organization, you need to be able to build trust with your customers, your clients, you know, but also around ethics as well. So where there's, you know, a lack of transparency, there's mistrust and there's questionable ethical decisions or ethical behavior going on, then you're in a world of trouble as an organization to be able to set the tone for a great culture. Yeah, it's an interesting challenge. So let's jump into style. The thing I struggle with so much, I can't wait to learn more about this. So what is leadership style? Larissa, tell me more about it. What does it mean? Explain it to someone like me who has a hard time getting style. Yeah, and it is it is a hard thing to explain. You know, according to HBR, over the last 50 years, there's been over 1,000 studies done on style. And, <laughs> and uh, you only have to go do a Google search. You know, there's 458 million results when you search for leadership style wow. in Google. And so it's a very, it's overwhelming to understand, well, what is a style and what, how, you know, what does my style look like? I like to phrase, you know, frame it up as a metaphor and it's a set of hats that you might wear in your leadership role that that enables you to show up for people and to get things done and to be seen as the leader of, you know, of a particular group. So, you know, it's like a brand almost. It's like a, a, a brand for an organisation or a brand for a person. It's how others see you and, and what you're known for, what your impact is on others how you get tasks done, how you get work done. One thing that I will say there, though, is perception is reality. So you might think that you're a great leader with compassion and empathy and, you know, and support. But if you're not being seen as that by your people, then then you're not a leader. Yeah, that perception is reality is so important. So we're going to hit both Andy and Lauren at this. So Andy, what would you like to add or double up on or counteract with regard to what was just said in style? No, I thought it was a great summary. I mean, I, I've always just thought of it as a stance or a, in support of a context, you know. So if it's a crisis situation where you you need to make a speedy decision, you may adopt a different, uh, more perhaps a sort of directive style than at a time, you know, where you have more time to be able to sort of be more participative. So for me, it's sort of, it is that set of hats, as Larissa said, that, it's being able to sort of figure out which one's appropriate at the time and also not to have a sort of a dominating one potentially as well and not to be aware of that, which I think is the tr- is definitely coming back to Larissa's point is that there's self-awareness, but, not, but self-awareness guided by other people's impressions can be really helpful. Now, Lauren, what do you, what do you get on that? You got a good thoughts on style. So what is your ad- additive thoughts on this concept? comment. I I think Larissa's comment about hats seems to be a really good analogy. I also sort of think about it in terms of, you know, a builder has a, has a kit bag and so two leaders need to have a set of skills. So I think leadership styles are a really interesting way to look at the various polarities of leadership. And I know there was a, I think a three-year study done of more than 3,000 business leaders by Daniel Goleman, a behavioral scientist. And that observed six main leadership styles. And he found that when leaders used uh, several different styles, their businesses performed much better 
than when they use just one or two. So for instance, if an organization is moving through a particular change program, there might be a need for a more visionary style of leadership. So even though we might have leadership styles that we're more comfortable with, ultimately leadership needs to be people and context dependent. So you need that toolkit of skills and styles. So here's the question. How many styles can you have before you become unauthentic? So Larissa, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, good question, David. Look, I mean, in terms of how many styles you can have, I think both Andy and Lauren mentioned the fact that context is key here. And depending on what the context is, what the situation is in your organisation at any one time, you know, being able to adapt your leadership style to match whatever is going on in the situation or the, or the environment. In terms of how many styles you have, I don't think it matters how many styles you have, it's how you enable them and enact them. And if you are consistent and you are building trust and that authenticity and, and empathy piece, then I think that you can probably play across you know, many hats at any one time in, in any one organization. Hmm, interesting thoughts, Lauren or Andy? The other side that I've always understood myself and, and through various tests is, is also the, the ad and under pressure, because I think there's the style that you might, the thinking style that goes with when you're able to have time and to be more front-brained. And then there's the under pressure style as well, which may be quite different. So I think that's the other nuance to use that word again, that I, that I would have for me in this area as well, is that I know f- that to, to be able to select more styles, I need to be managing my own internal pressure. Yeah, yeah. that's a really good point, I think, Andy. And I, it comes back to Larissa's earlier point around leaders need to have self and relational awareness. It's very important and knowing yourself under pressure we're working now in very complex, um, very demanding times. And so we need to have that self-regulation. And then I guess what I'm saying, what I'm thinking as we go through this is, you know, the whole art and science of leadership is changing to the point where there might be some folks who was, who were once qualified to be leaders who aren't any longer because of the requirements associated with, you know, pivoting styles, basing styles on, on your authentic self, yet being able to be relatable as you're doing those pivots. I mean, Larissa, what's your thoughts on that? Is that is that true? Is it is it is it changing before our very eyes? I would absolutely agree with that, David. I think you know the the crisis that COVID has brought for workplaces everywhere, not just in one country or one demographic area. It's everywhere. I think you know understanding that at different times during a crisis, you might need a more directive style and a more of a do what I say, we're under a lot of pressure, there's a lot of risk involved. So it's, a, you know, it's very much a, a do what I say approach. Whereas for some countries and some um, organisations, they're starting to come out of some of the crisis mode, but they their leaders haven't made the decision to maybe change their leadership style. And so they're still being, in, you know, very directive and um, very, you know, authoritarian in their approach when maybe as we're coming to the next horizon of the crisis, it's time to now pull back and go, well, how do we want to be in the next year for our organisation? How do we want to show up? How do we want to build our rebuild our culture? How do we want to define the leadership styles that we want within our organisation? I think that the, the key there is the fact that people are changing and 
the needs are changing and you, you know you, you what we're taught is to manage to be the manager measures it's the heroic leadership concept and andy you know a lot about this and what i think larissa is getting at is in that this whole new change from an adaptive leader perspective when the skill sets become so much more wide and it takes someone who's able to do that and not just looking at it from a what i can measure what i can monitor and how i can make that happen would that does that make sense yeah yeah it's i think the context for you know the current environment relating back to what larissa is saying is is that the context the situation and your awareness of yourself and where you where you're in you know where you're at emotionally and is also part of this as well so and, and I think, well, also understanding where other people are at actually is, this is actually almost more important as a leader as well. So as people, as people's emotions change, your style needs to, to change as well. So, you know, when people were scared about what was happening, you know, or are still scared about what's happening with COVID, then the style you adopt for that is quite different than perhaps when people are more needing a more reflective and, you know, participatory sort of approach. So that's where being adaptive in, you know, in your style, but also in the way you uh, work with people is going to have to really adjust. Yeah, and this is where the dichotomy starts to happen, because in some ways, the authenticity comes in the fact that you're telling people you're going to have to adjust. I'm, you know, my base value is this. I want to take care of, I want to take care of this team, because if I take care of this team, I'll be successful. But in order to do that, you're going to see me act and react in multiple ways based on multiple situations. And, you know, you've got to go back to the base level concept because you're not necessarily going to really see who I am in some cases, because if I'm too authentic, then, you know, I might be doing something I'm not supposed to do at the time I should be doing something else. And this, this is what really scares me as being a leader of a, of a company previously is how do you pull that off? Larissa, is that even possible to pull off? Or no, no, I think, you know, I think, yes, you can. I think it's, you know, as Andy has said, it's understanding where your people are and being able to meet them where they are, not trying to take them on this journey of four steps ahead when they're still dealing with, you know, a very large emotional kind of uh, experience and uncertainty and, 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 you know, a lot of maybe fear or anger around the situation that they're in. And so I think if we were to come back to that authentic leadership piece, you can only lead people to where you are. And so that radical self-inquiring going deeper of where you are, I think is so important because you can't lead people beyond where you are yourself. Ah, there you go. There's an aha moment for me. There it is. So basically, ah, and then, and the only way you can do that going forward is by learning and growing. So even being honest and authentic and saying, I can only take us this far as an adaptive leader, we're going to have to bring in other team members to help us push forward. And I'm going to learn and grow with you as we're, we're tackling this one problem. Absolutely. And that requires a lot of courage and some vulnerability. You know, if we were to look at the work of Brene Brown, it is a, a lot of vulnerability to admit that maybe you don't know what's next or you don't know how to lead through this situation or you are in feeling in the same, you know, emotional state as the people that you are leading. Uh, that takes a massive amount of courage. That was good. Andy, you had something to say on this? That was really good. Yeah, it is. But the challenge with this and this, so so in the Adam Grant research that, that I was quoting before, he was talking about the, the challenge in some of this, you know, the reality versus the 
what we would like. So the research at the moment is clearly indicates that that we have a bias. If I say something and, and, and you know, being vulnerable or self-deprecating, then people admire that. But when women do that, then it's often seen as a weakness. So as a society, we've got some real challenges to overcome to make authenticity fair and equitable. Interesting. And I think that was where all the psychological safety comes into play. So the more that you can be vulnerable and accept vulnerability, then you can feel that your organization psychologically safe. But then the problem becomes, like you said, Andy, how do, how do we change the society on the female leadership side? And then how do we deal with those that take advantage of that? Well, I mean, it's also the, what I'm just saying, the double standards that, that are held. And these take, you know, like any form of biases that take a long time to sort of break down. But I think some of that's calling that out and holding us ourselves more accountable to, to be understanding of these, these double standards that often exist. So taking a step back to our team members as leaders, and Larissa, we talked a little bit about this before the podcast. I told you the story of a team member I had who was too arrogant, and then the technique I used to break him of this habit, which was authentic, but you know, some people might have thought it was harsh. Can you spend some time on being an authentic leader and trying to help people break bad habits or self-limiting habits? Is this is this the part of a leader at this point in time, or? You know, have we kind of gone beyond that? And, and I, I mean, I struggled with it, but I'm glad when, when I, I did it because it's made him a better leader and a better worker. Mm. Uh, I think there's a couple of different ways to look at this, you know, in terms of a situation. I think in terms of the question you ask around, is it the leader's role? I think the leader's role is to guide employees and to, you know, kind of uncover blind spots for them. So if that person had a blind spot, then absolutely that's an accountability of a leader to point that out and to talk about the things that, you know, we call derailers. So, you know, they might be great at engaging the customer and really, you know, focusing on customer needs, but the derailing behaviour that they might have would be completely undermining their team members to do that. And so that's a, that's a massive derailer for for promotion or for, you know, for getting ahead or for being considered as a future leader. And so I think, you know, the other way that we could look at it is to go inside, to go internal into ourselves and ask ourselves, what are we enabling as a leader for that to happen? And I talk about the fish, the sick fish. If you've got a sick fish, you don't change the fish, you change the water. So what's happening in that environment that might be, you know, allowing that person to not behave according to the values of the organization and what's what coaching approach can you take to help them uncover those things and are we getting to a point larissa i just had this aha moment for myself internally it might be nothing but is it getting to a point where the leader leads but then the, then leaders bring coaches in to change behaviors the leader leads and, and helps people see the challenges they face but then the coaches come in and support those changes yeah, look, I think in terms of a coach, and I'll, you know, I'm a coach, and so I'm speaking from a, a perspective of someone who has done that in organisations. Going in as a coach, you're able to uncover through great questioning, as coaches use, you're able to uncover patterns and thoughts, narrative from the person that might uncover some of those values and beliefs in a different way than what a leader might. So within a leader and an employee relationship, there needs to be a whole lot of trust and a whole lot of psychological safety that if I'm vulnerable, as Andy said, if I'm vulnerable to my leader, is he going to think less of me? Or is she going to not consider me from a promotion perspective, you know, for the next big one that's coming up? And so 
that trust and psychological safety needs to be there. And sometimes a coach can just bring a different angle to that and uncover things in a different way. Yeah, I'm just intrigued about that more. I'm, I'm wondering if that, and it seems to be that's the course we're going. The leader is providing directions and outcome and, and helping guide and driving forward, but then getting the help of coaches to fix you know, behaviors and activities, whether through working through beliefs and mindsets to, to help those team members you know, perform at their optimal level. LG, what's your thoughts? Anything that caught your ear as you were listening to some of the, the, the recent conversation? Yeah, I mean, I guess just a reflection that leadership isn't always easy, right? It involves tough conversations. And I was just thinking that actually sometimes it even requires creating disequilibrium to interrupt the status quo and to encourage breakthroughs. But it really matters how you have those conversations. And and in our podcast, we've spoken about radical candor and we've spoken about caring deeply and challenging directly. So presenting that compassionately and honestly from a place of care tends to get a different result than handling it in a more obnoxious or aggressive way. Yeah, it's very interesting. Andy, what says you before we hit our last question? Um, I was basically just going to say what Lauren said before. I think it's the, it is, you know, if we think about radical candor and what Kim Scott was, where she was coming from with that, it really was that, I think it's almost like an invitation as well. So you as a leader, you want to get to a space with with your staff where where it's two way as well. I think that's the other side that that Kim Scott would really strongly advocate is that it's not about you just pointing out flaws in in other people, but it's also them helping you understand where you can improve as well. So if you start with yourself first by saying how can I be a better leader or how can I help you better you're way more going to be um, likely to, to be able to, to be able to help them reciprocate. And finally, not finally, but the challenge for me and all that is the human work machine power corrupts because the brain enjoys it. And the brain doesn't think less of the people underneath power. It just thinks that they're not as important. So speed and disruption is driving this change that we're talking about but our basic brain habits still always force that leader to have to filter the urge to say I'm better because I'm special because I'm more important. And that's hard because what you're all saying is you can't lead successfully in this environment without empathy for your people, without candor about yourself and others and about wearing multiple hats based on the situation. That's just, you know, those two are going to fight together for a while. So last question I want, to, I want to wrap this up by asking each of you thoughts on this. Why must leadership change so drastically now to be successful going forward? So Larissa, leadership needs to change. Why? Look, leadership's been redefined, I think, in the last, let's call it 12 months due to COVID and the, and, and the, you know, the crisis that, that organisations have been sort of pushed into. So I think leadership needs to change because it needs to be redefined by each individual leader. They need to find the best way to wear the hats, the many hats that they have available to them and to, you know, reach out for help when they need it so that they can enable people to thrive in their organisations, be that at home or in the workplace, the traditional workplace. Great. Lauren, leadership needs to change. Why? Because we need to humanise the workplace. When we move from a rigid 
command and control way of working to a more adaptive way of working. We know that traditional leadership, that leader as a hero style you were talking about, simply doesn't work. And we know that from all, the, all of the research. So now we know better, the challenge is to do better. And I stole this question from you. I liked it last time. And Andy, last but not least, leadership needs to change. Why? Because it's broken. You know, we've seen that through engagement surveys for the last 20 years that have not really budged much at all. We've seen that through productivity in organizations that has not been able to increase. So you know, there's plenty of uh, examples of facts that support that. And we, we see the facts that support that those organizations and teams that have leaders that are effective are 14 times, you know, based on the, this research I saw recently, more likely to be engaged. So the, the numbers just stack up. I mean, it's just a no-brainer. Well, man, you all did fantastic. Larissa, you've been a wonderful guest, added tons of value, a lot of foundational information here. You know, I just, it just hit me on a couple of levels. I think, you know, the level one is the fact that speed, 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 rapid pace of change just blows away the concepts that we had previous. And we just were not prepared. We were trying to get ourselves prepared and we're completely ill-prepared. And just because it might have worked before and results were there, I just don't see how results are going to happen going forward without the concepts of, that you folks have been talking about. Empathy to the team, learning from the team, adjusting and pivoting, wearing multiple hats based on the situation, being honest when that hat fits you uncomfortably using Larissa's example of hats as leadership styles. So we got a lot to do and a lot to change and you folks have added so much value to it. And we appreciate you as part of the Better Work Project. Please, if you get a chance, rate us, subscribe to the Better Work Project based on the, the place you go to get your podcast. And we're going to get beyond 16 and wait to our 21st episode when we can legally drink in the United States. <laughs> With that said, have a great one. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Better Work Project. If you like this episode, please be sure to rate, review, and tell your friends and colleagues about it. If you have specific suggestions or ideas for future podcasts, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. Continue to fight the good fight. We'll see you next time on the Better Work Project. Thank you.